This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. And a big welcome, especially a big welcome to anyone who's here for the first time or online for the first time. Maybe I'll show the folks online our in-person community here. Sunday morning starting to get full again. Nice to be able to be in the space together. And all of you online, really appreciate you showing up. And even those of you who are listening later from our YouTube channel or from Dharma Seed, we're all in community. And just in light of what I've been talking about during the guided meditation, even that something that simple can be a cause for happiness. And the idea, like internally, subjectively, in our own heart, is to set emotion a kind of feedback loop where we're recognizing what's good in another. And again, it can be really simple. See my cat roll in the dirt, the dry dirt. It's just, you know, animals like to do that. I think it... It's a good instinct because it keeps the fleas and other bugs off of them, right? Also makes a mess when they come in the house. But, <laughs> but just seeing an animal having some simple physical pleasure, right? And that, oh, why not appreciate that? Why not let that in? And not just acknowledging it, but actually taking the moment to notice its effect. Like what happens when I'm consciously aware of what is good, what happens? Maybe you notice, I mean, it's easy for me because I'm seeing a lot of your faces, but you know, when you see somebody who looks like they're in a good space, and then just appreciating that, like, oh, we humans, we have our moments of ease, of well-being, of goodness, and we can appreciate that in each other at a checkout line, or wherever we bump into each other, at a Dharma Center, on Zoom, looking at the little rectangles. <laughs> you know, but it, it's really a matter of what we're choosing to pay attention to. And you know how it is, we can get, some of us more than others, really into these critical, with these critical lenses, where we think that we have to see what's wrong, what's the problem, as if we're um, neutralizing a threat by, oh yeah, I see you, enemy, danger, threat. And of course, there's some value in being able to discriminate and sense what might be danger. But it's equally important, maybe because of our habit energies, even more important to be able to recognize and acknowledge what's good and really sense it. So um, I won't be here next Sunday when Fricky will teach the Sunday morning program because uh, Shelley and I will be teaching out on the West Coast. Shelley Graff, the other guiding teacher at Cloud Mountain, a, a wonderful little retreat center between Portland and Seattle in Washington State. Um, and I think Wynn's going to talk about wise attention. But anyway, I'll come back to this topic of seeing the good 
for a couple more weeks, maybe for the rest of May when I'm teaching. So it can be a kind of homework for us just to, and again, it's not like we're being stupid or um, idealistic or sentimental and forgetting that there is, you know, meanness out there. People, when they're hurting, people like us, when we're hurting, we strike out, we hit back, we try to hurt. You know, when we're hurting, there's a basic instinct to want others to hurt. Whether we acknowledge that in ourselves or not, I've seen it in myself, right? But part of what makes us that embittered, angry, aggressive, or self-hatred person is we're not in touch with joy. We just haven't developed that skill. And we don't talk about it very much. I mean, honestly, when's the last time with one of your better friends you had a chat like, you know, what's making you happy? Seen any moments of goodness today? You know, are you in touch? Are you, what are you appreciating right now? What are you grateful for? I thought this month, I mean, don't feel like you have to do it right now. You have to gain some confidence that you can recognize what's good. But it would be nice before the end of the month to write a, a gratitude list, like for those of you who are more analytical, you can just write a list of what you're grateful for. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for, you know. Others can write a poem or a song or whatever, but it's like, this is a, it should be a prerequisite to being an adult and having kids or really any response, any adult responsibilities, right? We should be able, at any moment, somebody should be able to ask us, so what are you grateful for? What are you appreciating lately? And we should have a response. And that response, like me giving that response to somebody, I should also be able to notice how healing it is for that person to have asked me that, and now for me to be actively recollecting what I'm grateful for, what I appreciate. And that that person also should be affected. And then in ripples, the whole community is affected. I know it can be contrived and there can be shadows to this, but you know, there are families that sit around the table before the meal and they ask, you know, each, everyone, hopefully the parents don't get an exemption. You know, everybody has to talk about what they appreciate. We do this, we try to do it every Monday morning when Robin, uh, uh, Major, our office manager, and Shelly Graff, the other guiding teacher, and I have our weekly staff meeting. We try, one of us takes some time and just reflects about the goodness of our practice, like what we're learning, what we're appreciating, what, what we're waking up to, and the power and the joy and the healing that comes from that. So how are we going to do that? And I'll share some things, uh, maybe before we end today. I'll just, um, we'll do, uh, sharing the merit. And, uh, in the document that's in the chat for those of you online, and for all of you in the room, you can get the same document. Just go to the public calendar, Common Grounds calendar, and at this event, 
the Sunday morning uh, weekly practice group. <clears throat> There'll be a, a link to the Google Doc. And I've just given a couple examples of sharing the merit or sharing the benefits of your life. It's a early Buddhist practice, and it's like you can do it every evening before you go to bed, or any time, like after a retreat, we often do it, a Buddhist meditation retreat, or any time where you felt like, this is really good, what we just did. Then it's nice as a group to share, the, it's called share the merit or share the blessings. So what we do is we just start with what just happened. Hey, this was really good, what we just did. I mean, maybe you and your neighbor uh, cleaned up something in the neighborhood, you know, and then if you were both practitioners or didn't think it was too strain, strange, you'd say to yourself, one of you would initiate it, hey, what we just did, that's good. Let's just take a moment and appreciate what we just did was good. And that goodness has left an impression in our minds, in our hearts, like having been generous in that way. You know, maybe all you did was get the debris away from the, the drain that drains to the river, you know, so the water can flow down. Something simple like that. Or you picked up some trash in the neighborhood. Or helped somebody who's older in the neighborhood that needed some help with their gardening stuff. And you're feeling good and you're appreciating that. And then the next step is to realize, well, whatever goodness that I'm feeling right now, having done this, I want to, I want to share it. And you don't have to figure out how to share it. Just the intention that whatever is good in your life, whatever blessings there are in your life, you want them to be distributed, to be shared. That itself is good. You see this kind of amplification, like an exponential function. It just keeps growing. Whatever blessings there are in my life, this particular thing we just finished, all the blessing, blessings, little moments of patience, little moments of generosity, moments of being fearless where it was appropriate to be fearless, may all that goodness be given away. May it somehow support the well-being and happiness of my parents, even if they're dead. May it find them and support them. Whatever is next for them, who knows? And all my mentors, all my teachers, all my loved ones, dear friends, family members, may the goodness in my life, whatever goodness there is, I'm not talking about my badness, just my goodness. <laughs> all the wholesome actions, wholesome thoughts, wholesome words spoken, wholesome deeds done. May all that goodness be offered out. May it be a cause for happiness in all directions. May it join with all the goodness of all the other people who are sharing the goodness. May this make a really deep and wide river of goodness. May this goodness continue and increase and never end. Isn't that a nice thought? And that thought affects our heart, right? It, it actually, we can sense that momentum of goodness. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, a real sign, I think, of delusion is this arrogant notion that we all fall into this hole sometimes where we think we are really far from goodness. You know, we're just not good. We have nothing good to share 
And uh, it can be quite compelling. It's like a dark place that we fall into. But we can change this. Because, uh, you know, we hear about Buddhism and karma a lot. But what karma means, what that word means, it's thoughts, words, and actions done with intention. So when we intentionally choose to keep goodness in mind, then there will be some karmic fruits to that. And karma, as the Buddha describes, it's unstoppable. Like, you plant seeds, some of those seeds are going to sprout. Some of those seeds that sprout sprouted are going to turn into trees. Some of those trees are going to produce thousands and thousands of seeds. Some of those seeds, you know, this is another one of those exponential functions. And it's the same with both positive and negative seeds we plant. And, you know, the force of habit, probably we're going to plant some negative seeds still. We haven't uprooted all of the negative tendencies, impersonal but very real habits in our mind stream, right, in our personalities. So, but we can, we're not just destined to plant negative seeds, being envious, being jealous, being negative in one way or another, being hateful, wanting revenge. All those negative tendencies in their own contexts are understandable. They're still negative in the sense of what that sets in motion in our heart and in our world, but it's understandable. But instead of being like thinking that my life as a spiritual seeker is all about stopping myself from being bad, which if you've ever raised kids, I haven't, but I I used to be an elementary school teacher. You know, being that kind of parent, adult, that's just trying to put out the fires of negativity, it ends up being negative itself, right? We start to justify all kinds of hate and resentment. All it takes is to get a little tired, you know? (laughs) I notice it's just even doing gardening. The first few, uh, uh, first hour, you know, I'm not in very good shape anymore. The first hour gardening, I can be somewhat joyful, and like just appreciating, like working my body. But then I notice as the time progresses, it's like I get kind of mean about what I'm doing. You know, just the way I'm using my body and the attitude I have about the dirt or the leaves or the whatever I'm dealing with, like as if it's personally out to get me, this one more thing, one more little um, tenacious strand of buckthorn that I have in the next to the alley by our house, keeps coming, the nerve of it keeps coming back. (laughs) And uh, it can be like a war, you know. And I've had some accidents, like recently, about a year and a half ago, I had a bad fall where I was pulling some brush, and I just tripped over some other brush that I'd recently pulled (laughs) and fell back in the alley and landed on my elbow, and I still like the the ongoing pain in my shoulder and arm from just being aggressive and wanting it to be done. That's called hate. I mean, it's not the worst kind of hate, but that's an expression of hate. Just doing a job as if the job is a problem and, you know, evil problem. 
that I have to, you know, that burden on my shoulders that I have to somehow deal with. Oh, poor me. That's, that's actually hate. Because a lot of times we think, well, I don't have hate, but all these little ways, we even brush our teeth with hate sometimes. <laughs> it's like just doing it to get it done. As opposed to appreciating the hardness of our teeth. 65 years, you know? And they're doing pretty, I mean, there are a few of the caps, but generally they're doing pretty good. And we can appreciate the, the sort of health that we have, whatever it is, because it could be worse. Right? As long as it's still ticking, it could be worse. And there's always something to appreciate in this. This is from Ajahn Sumedho, a wonderful elder teacher, a Western teacher. He's been a monk now for over 40 years, maybe close to 50 years. He's close to 90 now and born in the Seattle area. But uh, he was a a monk in Thailand with Ajahn Chah, and then for many years uh, the abbot of a monastery in England, Amravati. And they'd have a ceremony every year. You can actually get this uh, book if you just Google Ajahn Sumedho and gratitude. They put together a book. He's written one of the chapters, and some of the other elders have written chapters. And they have this, one of the nice things about um, monastic tradition is that they have a whole culture. You know, when we started lay centers like Kamgram Meditation Center here in the West, we lost a lot of the Buddhist culture when early Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism came to the West because it was kind of specific to Asian culture and we have to recreate it. So one of the nice monastic traditions is to have a day where you have gratitude for the, your parents who gave you life and fed you when you couldn't feed yourself even if they weren't great parents, that gift is really an important gift. And the text, in the, I think in the Pali Canon, the suttas, uh, the Buddha or somebody is saying that even if you carried your mother on one shoulder and your father on the other shoulder for a hundred years, you wouldn't repay them for the blessing of having a human life to live this life and to wake up, to use this life for what it could be really used for. And that there's even another scenario, like even if you were able to install them as the head of the world, you know, the grand poobah, king, queen, whatever, of the world, even that wouldn't pay them back. And one of the great blessings, and I feel this in my own life, as imperfect as it was, I might have even mentioned this recently because it seems familiar, but you know, even doing our best to take care of our parents as they get older and they need our help. Now, it doesn't always work out. It isn't necessarily appropriate to feel shame about if you're not available to help them in their older years. But that that's a powerful blessing to be able to repay some of the debt in any way that that may, might make sense. And remember, it doesn't always make sense, and I don't know each person's particular situation with their parents. But it's just a, just an example of that quality of appreciating what we've been given. And just that we have roads and that we have sidewalks to walk on. That hasn't always been the case. I was reflecting the other day, just in my bathroom at home, 
It is so nice to have running water, clean running water. Lots of it. I know it costs some, but most of us don't think about like having to be tight with how much water we use and that we can drink it, you know, and it tastes relatively good, the water we have. And that's just one small thing to appreciate. And that our city plants trees, you know, that we have relatively mature trees around. Because a lot of places where humans have congregated don't have a lot of green in the urban areas. You know, it sort of can be desolate. And we have birds, at least in our neighborhood. So Ajahn Sumedho is uh, just reflecting about, uh, he's writing the, gave the opening talk for this day where they're appreciating the parents. And I think also appreciating the people that brought them to the Dharma, to spiritual life. And you can think about that too, not just who brought you to your Buddhist practice, but anybody from day one. Like I remember uh, my uh, fifth grade teacher, he, he taught briefly at me in second grade when my second grade teacher got sick or something. And he was just a young person just finishing up his um, college, I think when I was in second grade, and then just a year or two out of maybe in grad school at the time. But anyway, just a young man, and he actually has come, he's down in Des Moines now, but he came to Common Ground because he has some kids who live up here. And uh, But in fifth grade, it's like I have so much appreciation because he saw something in me, and because he saw something good in me, I could see something good in me through his eyes that I couldn't see through my own eyes. And that really has stuck. That made a difference. Because, you know, a lot of us through the programming, our elders, our culture, we see what's wrong with us. We have a lot of shame, a lot of not being good enough. So when somebody opens up a window and through words, through their own understanding through their own actions, help us see that there is something good here. That matters. That's really something to appreciate. I appreciate that person. Even, you know, a long time later, that's, you know, almost 60 years ago. But I remember that class, and I remember what he helped me sense in myself and others. It wasn't like I was distinct from the other kids in my classroom so much but he really appreciated us he saw what was good in us and you might remember like people, friends, lovers whatever that could illuminate that in you oh yeah, there's something good here or we could they allowed us to see that their, their goodness you know, their capacity to be resilient or their capacity to be happy So here, uh, Ajahn Sumedho writes, A life without gratitude is a joyless life. If we don't have anything to be grateful about, our life is a dreary place. Just contemplate this. If life was just a continuous complaint and moan about the injustices and unfairness we have received, and we don't remember anything good ever done to us, and all we do is remember the bad things, That's called depression. (laughs) And 
And this is not an uncommon problem. And, and weirdly, this is me talking, and weirdly, this is a kind of entertainment to us, right? Where we get together and we complain together. And this is endemic in the schools, like back in the day when I worked in schools, and I had lots of different kind of jobs in schools um, over the years, back in the 80s and early 90s. And there was a lot of complaining. You'd go to the teacher lounge to complain. <laughs> and it, just think about some particular friendships where that's the way you connect. And maybe some siblings, you complain about your parents or... But just interesting, like, just to ask yourself to reflect, is this fun? And what sort of seeds are being planted and watered? This complaining, this moaning, this groaning, this oh poor me. And just acknowledging how deep that habit is. And we don't have to feed it, we definitely don't want to feed it. You know, we might unconsciously fall into it because it has momentum and we have to be forgiving when we fall into those habits. Gossip would be in the same category, you know, when we're putting down others, judging others. When we fall into depression, we cannot remember any good that has happened to us. Something stops in the brain, and it is impossible to imagine ever being happy again. We think this misery is forever. And this is the thing, the specific thing about mudita practice that we did during the guided meditation. And again, I encourage you to do it. And the phrase, just to help arouse that capacity to appreciate, can be something simple like, wherever you're putting your attention, the grass is green. Whatever it is, that dog seems happy, even though it's barking at me, you know. May your happiness continue, or may this goodness continue. So just whatever word fits there, may this continue, may it increase, may it never end. And remember, we're not being naive or silly. We know that things come and go. But the wish of connecting with something that's good and just wishing that the goodness continue, that's a good wish. And you'll feel it. You'll feel the goodness energetically. And then you just keep it in mind. And when you do the mudita, the appreciative joy practice or the gladness practice, you might feel like a lot of resistance, or all, sometimes I felt almost like something really hard and resistance is starting to crack in a way that, like, is something really cracking there? You know, when your heart sort of starts to loosen up a little bit? But it can feel like, am I having a heart attack? There's a funny story that Jack Hornfield, if you don't know, he's a well-known teacher in this tradition. He tells, he was leading a retreat a long time ago, I think in the Boston area, and some doctor came in for the one-on-one -on -one interview, practice interview, and said, you know, and he was a doctor, he said, I think i got to call 911. I think I might be having a heart attack. And so Jack said, okay, we'll do that in just a moment. Just tell me a little bit more about what's going on. <coughs> so he just described it more and more, and it's just the closed, locked fist of our heart, you know, that's been squeezed tight for decades, when it starts to open, it can really hurt. Just the heart starts to rediscover its generous nature. 
And you might maybe have had some moments where you went from your ordinary tight, closed, contracted, resistant, negative, chronic state to something, whatever the particular supporting conditions were, the heart started to open. And you went, you were aware of that process, like something that's been closed for a while is realizing it doesn't have to be closed. And this is what we want to discover so that we can learn to live with the heart unconstricted, not so armored. And remember, it's not the same as being naive, right? We don't go and ask the rattlesnake if we can give it a peck on its cheek. <laughs> you know, we, but we don't have to throw the rattlesnake out of our heart. We know, yeah, that rattlesnake is conditioned the way that it's conditioned, but we can appreciate it. It's, I mean, they're amazing creatures, actually. All creatures are amazing in their own way. Right? And there are people, I had a, my biology class in college that was taught by, uh, the world's most esteemed, um, scholar of slime molds, molds. <laughs> I mean, he was like world famous. I think he even won some big time, maybe even a Nobel Prize at some point. I can't remember, but he was very well known. Um, but his, you know, the thing that he appreciated was just the amazing slime molds. And there's a great book. Some of you know um, Robin um, Kimmerer. Yeah, Wall Kimmerer. Wall Kimmerer. Yeah, who's an indigenous woman, but also a Western scientist, botanist. And the famous book she wrote is called Braiding Sweetgrass, which is a wonderful text. Uh, book, but there's another book that she, uh, I think, rewrote from her um, dissertation about, um, not lichen, but uh, moss. That's just great. Gathering moss, that's what it's called. Uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer, Gathering Moss. It's just a great book because she loves moss. <laughs> now, most of us, you know, don't think about moss too much, but it's really. It's amazing. And uh, I spent some time on the East Coast when I was a younger adult. And on top of some of those uh, mountains in, in the Appalachia, northern states like uh, Berkshires, they're sometimes just stone, and there are these pockets of soft moss. And you can climb up there and lie down. And it's like made to lie down on. And there's just something amazing and resilient about mosses. And we just think about moss as one thing, but they're so diverse. She talks about how, you know, in one particular place, there'll be layers and layers of different species of moss because the microclimate of each, you know, foot or each few inches changes. And some mosses will thrive here, but not thrive there. And that diversity and that resilience and that intelligence is so worth appreciating. And it's everywhere. I mean, even the grass that comes up through the cracks and the sidewalk, and just the, the ants that somehow, despite my tenacious attempts to seal off my older home, ants find a way in, you know? And then, you know, we don't, we try not to kill them, but we do escort them, <laughs> catch them and escort them so that the scouts don't tell other ants 
about the delights of our kitchen. It's the time of year where we bring all the honey into the fridge. Here's a little bit more I wanted to read from this article. <coughs> Many of us have had fortunate lives, but although we've been born in fortunate places, we can tend to take a lot for granted. We have privileges and benefits and a much better life than a good portion of the people in the world can ever hope to expect. There's a lot to be grateful for when you live in a place like Britain, where he was living at the time. I think back when I was a child and the way my parents devoted their lives to look after me and my sister. But when I was young, I didn't appreciate it at all. And then he just goes on to talk about his own childhood and just all the ways his parents did their best. And then he writes, however, if we just go on with the force of habit and conditioning, we remain more or less stuck with all kinds of things instilled into us, with the habits we've acquired when we were young, and these can dominate our conscious life as we get older, right? And that's kind of a, a meme, that stereotype of older people becoming embittered. And you know, I'm 65 now, I feel, you know, just the stiffness in the body and just what comes, you know, the problems that come even with a relatively, you know, 65 isn't that old. But it's just, yeah, that's what's in store. And then the mind doesn't work quite as well. And we're less enchanted by superficial things being older. Like, yeah, soup is good, but it's just soup. You know, so we don't, we don't imagine that the delights of life and sex and entertainments. I mean, how many entertainments have I watched? You know? And so it's like, we can get kind of grim. And, and it's really important to kind of go back to the basics. Cause a lot of the ways we've been touching pleasure or they just get like we, we need more and more. It's like an addictive thing. So we take a little bit of heroin, but then we need a little bit more heroin or, you know, a little bit of green tea and then we need more green tea or this much sugar, but more sugar. And there's a different kind of pleasure we can tune into, which is aligning our heart with what's good. And the thing is, it, it has a different effect than pleasant sense experience. It's much more resonant, like the the happiness we derive, it's not forever, but it's much more resonant when we're appreciating what's good than searching the internet for something entertaining to watch or searching the fridge for something good to eat or, you know, these other places we go for a little high, a little rush of pleasure. And there's something about being connected to what's good and really understanding karma like how to recognize what's good, how to set good in motion, how to recognize that setting good in motion sets good in motion, how to see this momentum building, how to appreciate being part of that. That can be our legacy. You know, it's like we have examples of that and we might misunderstand, you know, somebody a grandparent, for example, at a picnic, a family picnic, looking 
and just appreciating the relative health and well-being and harmony of the family. And it might be like that would be the shadow, like, oh, may it never change. May never, ever any bad thing happen to any of these people, right? But a more expansive is like just appreciating being part of having set some good in motion. And yeah, some things, there will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be negativity, but there's some good emotion here, and I know the power of good to replicate good. It's not just that negative, bad, replicates negative and bad. Good replicate, and good actually turns out to be even more resilient than bad. And this is something we can, and we need to figure out for ourselves how good actually trumps bad. And then, so aligning with it really creates a kind of resilience. And this supports the awakening process itself. So I mentioned that we'd end today, before the kids come in, uh, sharing the merit. And like I mentioned, there's some examples in this document that you can just take a look at. And I'll just, you know, this is sort of one of the places in the text, the time of the Buddha, where just this understanding that we can connect to what's good and we can do something with that. So there was a very famous uh, person at the time of the Buddha, um, uh, Risaka was her name. She was uh, wealthy and one of the great supporters of the Buddha and the nuns and the monks at the time. And she once went to the Buddha and asked, would it be possible, would you allow me to give these gifts to the monastic sangha, to the nuns and the monks? And it was just different things, like when somebody's sick and they can't go out and um, go to house to house with their bowl and receive their food for the day, can I go to the where they are, the sick people are, and feed them? And can I also feed the monks and nuns who are taking care of the sick monks and nuns so they don't have to go out? And can I give them, when they're bathing in the streams, can I give them an extra thing to wrap around their bodies so they don't have to do it in the nude and things like that? I mean, just really practical stuff for the nuns and monks. And the Buddha said, yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) You have permission to give those things. Because the monks and nuns can't have too much. It's really restricted what they can have. They live very, very simply. But then the Buddha, you know, because he's always looking for an opportunity to teach, and of course other people were around, so he asked, why do you want to do this? Right? And this is a really good question to ask Visaka. So she said, when I remember my acts of generosity, I shall be glad. Right? This is what we've been talking about today. She'll appreciate all those times she was able to support these monks and nuns will be a cause for my own happiness. When I'm glad, I shall be happy. When my mind is happy, my body will be tranquil. I will feel pleasure. When I feel pleasure, my mind will become steady and still. Right? We wonder why we can't get concentrated, have that tranquility. Well, maybe we're not recognizing the good in our lives and setting good in motion. And then she goes on. 
that stillness, that steadiness of mind will bring the development of all the spiritual qualities, the spiritual faculties, the spiritual powers, and that will support awakening in me. So pragmatic. So instead of thinking like, i got to wake up, no, no. We have to align with what's good. When we align with what's good, we're going to start to feel better in life. Even if we have bad circumstances, right? Because some of us do. We get in a car accident or we lose our job or we're being mistreated in some way, right? It clearly happens that people have difficult circumstances more than other people. But when we align with good, we start to feel good and we see people who have what we would consider really challenging, difficult circumstances who are really happy in that deeper way because they're aligned with what's good, not because they have a lot of wealth or a lot of health or they're being treated with a lot of respect, but because they've aligned with what's good. They're generous. They see generosity around them. They see what's good, and we can do that. So let's end our time by sharing the merit. And what we do, like I mentioned earlier, we just said it would just take two minutes, and we just remember, like, just being here, listening to the teachings, getting ourselves here today, online, in person, this is a good thing. And just having been interested in developing my heart and mind, and being more present in life, more kind, recognizing what's good, that is also good and recalling all the other blessings and goodness in our lives, moments of kindness, moments of generosity, patience and fearlessness, speaking truth when that was the right, wholesome thing to do. May all the goodness in my life, all the blessings, may it be remembered and sensed, and may I freely offer it as a gift to my parents, wherever they may be, here in this life, passed away. May all the blessings in my life support my parents and be a cause for well-being, a cause for awakening. May all the blessings in my life be offered to my dear ones, all my teachers and mentors and benefactors, all my dear friends and family. May all beings without exception receive the blessings of my life. May I always live and practice for the benefit of all. And may all this goodness join with all the goodness and from all the wholesome acts of past, present, and future. And may all this goodness continue and increase and never end. And may this be so. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.